We're going to continue in our Genesis series for one more week, because uh, next, uh, next Sunday, believe it or not, is the first Sunday of Advent. So if you were thinking, it's only June, it's not, it's almost December. So we are going to pause, as we always do, to, to spend the four Sundays of Advent thinking about uh, Christ's first coming, uh, again, as we anticipate His second coming. Uh, so Genesis, we're going to actually look at the whole story of uh, this deception that takes place where Jacob uh, receives the blessing from Isaac. And uh, I had par agreed kind of the, the, the whole, I guess, the whole point of that story is to show us how uh, Jacob inherits the blessing of the covenant family, the blessing that God had intended or had given to Abraham and to his descendants. And that's where we're going. Uh, you know, every, every week, <clears throat> every week that I preach anyway, I ask you to spend some time praying for me uh, as you pray for yourself. And that's always intentional. Every time I preach, I'll just let you in on a little secret. Uh, every time I preach, I feel like I'm standing on one side of a great chasm that I have to get across but I know that I'm not able to get across it. In other words, my words are not going to do anybody any good. It's only as God speaks through me, and this goes for everyone that teaches, it's only as God speaks through me that anything of value will come out of it. And so I, every time I ask you to pray, uh, that's not just something that we do. Uh, I need that. Uh, I need you to pray. And uh, so just last night, as I was cramming for the sermon, uh, I happened to be cramming for the sermon while in A&E. And so I had had some pains in my chest. And so I went into A&E and I was only there for four and a half hours, which is in itself a miracle. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, everything, was, everything was okay. Um, it, a lot of it, honestly, was probably anxiety. And just the anxiety that I carry that, that accumulates uh, over time and eventually catches up with you. Uh, and, and I say that to say uh, I always look for opportunities to kind of knock myself off a pedestal. I don't want to be on a pedestal, right? I, I'm, I'm human. Like you may think to yourself, but wait, you're an elder. Why, why are you struggling with anxiety? Well, I'm also a human, and see, all of us in the room here, uh, we're, we're in the same boat uh, together, right? And so I really do need your prayers. I need your prayers uh, for, for this sermon. I need your prayers for every, uh, for every, uh, every sermon. But it was a reminder to me uh, just that we do need one another. And uh, I remember thinking as I was there, like, oh, man, what are we going to do tomorrow? But I remember being comforted by the fact that I could text any number of people and everything would be fine. Everything would be great. Uh, I texted Parg and I told him, I said, do you have a sermon in your back pocket? Because you might need to preach it. And uh, he, uh, he said, well, are you, he said, are you in A&E right now? I said, yeah. And he said, well, I, I'm, I'm visiting my mom, so I'll come by and see you. So he came by and, and, and you know, we sat together for a little bit. But I remember being comforted. This church is not about Mandy or I. We started it 20 years ago. It's not about us. It's about us 
together. And so, you know, I'm comforted by the fact that we, we need one another and that we have one another. So again, uh, as you pray for me in a few moments when I ask you to, please take that seriously. Uh, Charles Spurgeon talked about the prayer, the, the boiler house of prayer, where he had his people praying for him uh, as he preached. And that was the, that was the energy that God used. That was, the, that was what God used uh, to help him in his preaching ministry. And so that's true for me. That's true for anybody that stands up here uh, and does anything. We need one another, and we need you to pray that God would speak through us. Okay? So let's pray, and then we'll, we'll get across that chasm by God's help. Father, you are good, and we thank you for your grace. We thank you for who we are in Christ, that we stand forgiven, redeemed, that as Dara shared this morning in 10 to 10, that that we stand with the hope, uh, a certain hope of a future with you. And so we're grateful for that. Father, would you help us today as we think about these words that that at some level seem difficult and they seem to create tension in us. Would you help us to think well about them? Father, we need you. Would you take a few moments and just pray for your own heart. Pray that God would speak to you uh, this morning through his word. And then would you pray for me, pray that God would speak through me what he wants to say. Thank you, Father, that you hear our prayers and we thank you that you are at work and we pray that you would continue to be at work in us and then, Father, that you would be at work through us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I was, uh, as I was thinking about this sermon, I was, I was watching one of the, uh, the TV shows that, that we like to kind of watch as a, uh, as a family the other day. And uh, there was a, a dad in the show who was trying to help his family do things. So, so somebody would say, uh, oh, you know, I really want to see this happen. And he's like, oh, I can help you with that. But every time, uh, every time he would try to do something to help, he would only make it worse, right? So there are 10 different occasions. He wanted to help with something and he only made uh, everything worse when he tried to help. And unfortunately, that, that caused me to remember how I've done the same thing on many occasions. Like the time that I tried to repair my uh, washing machine uh, that was broken only to break it further, Right? Or the time that I, my neighbor's uh, ride-on lawnmower that, that we use uh, was acting up a little bit. And I saw a, a screw and I thought, well, you know what, surely if I just, un- or a bolt. I said, yeah, surely if I just undo that bolt, it'll be okay. It wasn't. And then when I put the bolt back on, I sheared the bolt off. So I made it worse, right? Maybe you have similar experiences. I'm sure I'm not the only one. You, you've seen a, a need or you've seen an end goal and you thought to yourself something along the lines of, well, I could help that along if I just did 
X, whatever, only to then see everything just kind of go pear-shaped, right? I know this is a, a common story, or maybe you felt, uh, in, in this sense, maybe you felt you had a better idea altogether, right? Like, hey, we don't need to go this way, we need to go this way, so I'll just take us this way. And you've seen how that has ended up maybe blowing up in your face. Now, see, we can laugh at it when we see it in a sitcom, right? Because that's not real. Uh, But it's not funny when it happens in the stories of our lives that are being written. It's easy for us to feel that the mistakes that we make, that those things that we do, somehow ruin it all and relegate the story of our life to the dustbin. And that can drain us and cause all of our hope to be lost. Well, in the text today, we don't get a lot of detail about the life of Isaac. Remember, Isaac was the promised son. We have a few extended narratives, but, but really the story moves relatively quickly from Abraham to Jacob. But throughout the stories of the patriarchs, we've seen a couple of things. We've seen one kind of recurring theme in particular. And if you've been with us for the previous sermons, maybe you're tired of hearing this even because we've tried to, to stress it and bring it out as we've preached. It is that God is sovereign and able to accomplish his purposes. Full stop. And so we've looked at that theme through several of these stories. And it's not just his plans for the patriarchs in which he is sovereign. But if he's sovereign over all things, then his plan for all things is sovereign and unstoppable, right? And we've tried to bring that out. But don't we just love to kind of run ahead of God? And we kind of think we see where God is going and we think, ah, oh, I got this. I can help with this. And we run ahead of him in an effort to help him out. And we see it in the patriarch stories as well as our own. And unfortunately, as we know, that doesn't typically end well for us. And it's the same for them. But here's what I want us to see today. I'll just, I'll front load it. Uh, If God is sovereign, then he is able to overcome even our failed attempts to help him out. And listen, even our sin, to bring about his ultimate purposes. And I hope that we'll see that from this story today. I just want to tell you this story as we go through. And you can follow along in the text. You can listen. You can read it later. I just want to tell you this story in five acts. It's almost, it plays out like a drama. And so I just want to tell it to you as we go. When we begin the story, Isaac is old. Now, he's not going to die for another 20 years, but he knows that he's getting close. He can't see. 
And we'll find he can't see in more ways than one, but physically he can't see. And he feels that he wants to get his affairs in order. It's time for him to do that. And so he calls in Esau. Esau, the firstborn son. And culturally, anyway, the heir, the rightful heir of the family. And he instructs Esau to prepare him a meal so that he might give him the family blessing. Uh, the, the blessing of the, the, not just the family, but ultimately because of this special family, the covenant blessing as well. And so Esau departs to go out to hunt uh, his game and the curtain drops then on act chapter, or sorry, act one. In act two, uh, Isaac's wife, Rebecca, has over- overheard that conversation between Isaac and Esau, and she has an idea. See, she doesn't like Esau. If you look at the few verses immediately before chapter 28, you'll see she doesn't really care for Esau, at least compared to, to Jacob. Uh, to Jacob. Uh, Esau is an impetuous and a disrespectful man. He's taken a Canaanite wife, and that has greatly displeased Rebekah and Isaac. And Rebekah's probably also remembering this oracle back in chapter 25 that God had given her, where God had said to her that contrary to the cultural norm, the younger son, she had twins, the younger son is going to rule over the older son. So she probably has that in her mind as well. But whatever, uh, she senses here an opportunity. She, she senses an opportunity here to kind of help this along uh, in the way that she wants it to go. And so she jumps at it. Now she knows where God is going. She received the oracle. Uh, she, she knows where God is going and feels at some level that this will kind of help things along, right? This will help God out in, in one sense. And so she goes to Jacob and she explains the plan. She wants him to bring her two goats from among their flock so that she can prepare Isaac's favorite meal. And Jacob will then bring those, uh, or that meal to his father and receive the blessing having deceived his father. Now, Jacob isn't so sure because if Isaac finds out what Jacob is attempting to do, Jacob fears that he'll pronounce a curse on him instead of a blessing. But Rebecca says, oh, don't worry about that. We can fool him. We can do it. So she takes some skins of a goat and puts them on Jacob's arms and hands, gives him one of Esau's coats that smells like outside. You know, Esau was a man of the, 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 he was a wild man. And then she says, if Isaac curses you, I'll take it on myself. I'll take the curse. We'll be fine. Well, Jacob goes in after the meal's been prepared and immediately it seems that Isaac suspects something. The voice is strange that Isaac hears. It's, it doesn't quite sound like Esau's. In fact, it sounds a little more like Jacob's. Something's going on. 
He asks his son how he was able to find game so quickly. And Jacob answers that God had, had blessed him in his effort. Isaac says, come close. And he feels the, the, the skins on Jacob's arms. And he equates it to Esau's hairy arms. Esau must have been a really hairy guy. He comes closer still. And the smell uh, of Esau's garments convinces him further. All the while, this smell of this wonderful meal is also wafting uh, in the air. And so Jacob brings the food near and Isaac eats it. And then the moment of truth comes. Uh, the power of the blessing lies in the spoken word. And so Jacob comes near and Isaac speaks over him the blessing. And again, in the first instance, this is the blessing of the family where Jacob would assume the position of head of the family once Isaac passed in place of Esau. But we know from the storyline uh, at the very end that Paragrad that this is a different family. This is the covenant family. And so not only is it the family blessing, but later Jacob will pass on the covenantal blessing as well. So this is a big deal. The deception has worked. Well, in Act 4, scarcely has Jacob left the tent where Isaac was when Esau returns with the game that he's killed and he begins to prepare his own meal for Isaac. So what a shock uh, when he enters the tent and he and Isaac discover that they've been duped, that they've been fooled, that they've been swindled. Uh, initially, uh, Esau's broken up about it. Uh, he begs his father, Isaac, for some blessing. Uh, surely there's something left for me. But as the blessing has been spoken, there's no way to bring it back. It's like when you, uh, if you were to cut a feather pillow open and throw the feathers to the wind, how are you going to gather all the, the feathers back? The blessing has been spoken. And that's it. Esau feels the, the bitter pain of deceit, uh, speaking to Isaac uh, or, uh, about the fitting name that was given to Jacob, right? Jacob, remember, means deceiver. And Esau says, well, rightly, you know, he, he was named rightly. And Esau begs Isaac for something. And Isaac gives him what is kind of a blessing. It's not a, a really great blessing, uh, it's almost a curse in one way. Esau will serve Jacob. He will live by the sword. But in his words, the words of Isaac, there is the prediction of ongoing trouble between the descendants of Jacob and Esau as they, grow, they both grow to become powerful nations. Later, Esau is going to marry a daughter of the family of Ishmael uh, because he's heard that this is favorable to his parents. So as a way, maybe I can do this and, and get back in the graces, the good graces of my, my parents. But it's to no avail because the blessing has been lost for Esau. 
And Esau's sadness is replaced by raging anger as he swears that he will kill his brother Jacob. Now, when this is told to Rebekah, she knows that Jacob must flee. He must leave because his life is now in danger because of Esau's anger. And she instructs him to flee to her father's family, to Laban, her brother, in an attempt to escape Esau's wrath. And so Jacob does this with Isaac's blessing. Again, this is the the covenant blessing that Parag read for us in chapter 28, verses 1 to 5. And Rebekah will never see her son again. What a mess, right? Now, maybe you hear that and you say to yourself, oh, wait a minute, I'm, not, I'm not a family therapist, but this family has problems, don't they? And yet, we remember the oracle from chapter 25. God had, 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 had not only predicted this, it's not enough to say that God predicted this. This was... Uh, part of God's plan. God always intended to bless Jacob over Esau. And as we looked at a few weeks back from Romans 9, it wasn't because Jacob was better than Esau. It was merely an act of God's gracious choice that he had chosen to bless Jacob over Esau. And we remember from uh, later in chapter 25, Esau doesn't care about the place that his family had in God's grand plan. He despises the, the connection, and so much so that he sells his birthright to Jacob. So yes, he's disappointed in the moment that the blessing is lost, but we know from later texts that he is an impulsive, sensual, and wicked man. He's not a man seeking after God. And Isaac is blind to his son's character in wanting to bless him. But what we see of Jacob here is less than impressive too, isn't it? See, God wants to move things from A to B as he is progressing in his plan. And listen, God is quite capable of getting things from A to B. But so often we see things and we think, I can get this from A to B faster than God can. And sometimes this happens innocently enough. But at other times, it might even lead us into sin. Maybe thinking that B uh, isn't really a good destination after all. And so as God is writing our stories Sometimes we can take the pen off of him and say, that's okay, I'll take it from here. I can, I can write this maybe a little better than you. And that's when things get messy, isn't it? But is that it? Is that, is that the end of the, the, the plan? Or is it possible that God can use even those things as part of his grand plan? See, as we seek to wrestle with that tension, the first thing I think we need to see in our text today is that no one has clean hands. 
No one is innocent in this story that we saw today or that we look at today. Isaac may not have known about the sale of the birthright when Esau sold his birthright to Jacob. He may not have ever found out about that, but he almost certainly knew of the oracle from God where God said the younger will rule over the older. But it would seem he loves his good food. He has an affinity for his son Esau. Perhaps Esau is not so different from Isaac. And it leads him to want to give the blessing to Esau anyway. In spite of what he almost certainly knows about God's plan. Rebecca, well Rebecca is kind of the instigator of the whole deception. Because she likes Jacob better. You know, God told her his plan was to bless Jacob and maybe she felt this was the way in which she could help that along or cause that to come about. I mean, we know Esau is not an innocent victim. He's a wicked man. He despises the things of God. And Jacob is as his name suggests. Jacob could have said no. If he had known the promise... He could have refused to go along with the ruse, believing that God would bring about his plan in some other way. But he doesn't. And here's the point. God is always doing his work through broken people. He's always doing his work and bringing about his plan through broken people. Is it right that Rebecca and Jacob did this? No. Would God have brought this about apart from their help? Yes. But is this, in God's sovereignty, the way in which the promise of blessing did come about? Yes. Is God then responsible for their sin? No. See, God is able in his sovereignty to use even the sinful decisions of responsible men and women to accomplish his plan. There are a myriad of places in Scripture where we can see this. Probably the two most prominent a little bit later in Genesis, we'll see the story of Joseph where Joseph is sold into slavery by his brothers, essentially murdered by his brothers. That's their intent. And Joseph realizes in Genesis 50 that behind it all was God's sovereign plan of getting this promised family safely into Egypt. And this was the way God did it. He used even the sinful choices of Jacob's brothers to bring about his intended purpose. And of course, of course, the place where we see this most vividly is in the crucifixion of Jesus. When Peter says in Acts 2, by the predetermined plan of God, you crucified him. God is able to take even those sinful decisions of those that crucified Jesus 
and use them to accomplish his purpose. God is always able to do his work through broken people. And aren't you glad about that? Because you're broken and I'm broken. And God is still able to accomplish his purpose through us. Second, when we run ahead of God, and you know this, we always end up making a mess of things. See, in our story today, the deception ends up in major distress for this family. Jacob, because he's forced to flee the wrath of Esau, will never see Rebekah again. She'll die before he returns back home. So they, they have helped God out in a sense, but at a great cost to themselves. See, there's only trouble when we try and play God or help him along. And as we see, we may succeed in helping him, but it almost always costs us. Now look, don't misunderstand what I'm saying, okay? We shouldn't hear this and think that the ends justify the means, just the opposite. We shouldn't think that, that we won't suffer consequences when we go our own way. We, we do suffer consequences. Sin at its core is a rejection of God's best for us. It's, God, I don't want to trust you for what is your best. I know better than you what is for my good. And so I'll do that. See, Jacob and Rebekah should have trusted that God would bring about his purpose apart from deception which would have been far better for them. And they have created for themselves some serious consequences. And in the same way, we bear the scars of those decisions that we make to go on our own or to try to help God along. And sometimes we bear those scars for life. One of my seminary professors used to say, the, the cross takes away the penalty of our sin, but sometimes only death takes away its memory. And see, some of us live with the scars of the choices that we've made to try to help God out or because we felt like we had a better way. But in his providence, the sinful decision, the wrong decision of Jacob and Rebekah ends up being the means by which the blessing flows to Jacob over Esau. It's not ideal in the sense that it is the fruit of deception. And we can't say that God is responsible for their sinful choice. But in God's grace, it doesn't disqualify Jacob from God's plan. See, God isn't finished with Jacob. We'll continue on in Jacob's story and we'll see that there will come a day when Jacob will repent and he will trust in God fully and he will be able to enjoy the blessing that God has brought to him. Esau and Jacob will one day make peace, if it's a tenuous peace, but they'll one day make peace with one another. <clears throat> in the distant future. It never pays <clears throat> to run ahead of God. It's better to trust Him to bring about His plan in His time and in His way. But here's the good news I want you to hear today. 
Don't miss this. The gospel overcomes all things. All of your choices, all of our scars, the gospel overcomes all of those. Our scars don't disqualify us as candidates for God's grace and his salvation. He is able to take all of it and use it to do something glorious in Christ. How much better to trust in God's timing and to wait for him in faith, believing that nothing can stop his plan. He doesn't need our help to see his promise come to pass. So look, if you're here today wondering if the scars that you bear relegate you to some second tier in God's plan or God's purpose, would you stop and consider the good news of the gospel? That the gospel takes broken and scarred people who are oftentimes slow to learn and it raises them up. So God is still writing your story. And if you're in Christ, he has promised that he will bring it to completion in the day of Christ. So will you trust him to do that? I'm reminded just as we close of Romans chapter 8. Maybe go home today and read Romans 8, verses 29 and following. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, and again, these are all sin-scarred, broken people in view. He also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, He also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And then skipping down a few verses. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. And this is what I want you to hear. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor your scars nor your past, nor your bad choices, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Father, you are good. And as we look at this story of Isaac and we, we feel the tension, Father, help us to see That we are broken people. We aren't much different 
than the characters in this story. Father, we recognize that in Christ, Father, you have overcome. And so we thank you for that. And I pray, Father, for all of us in the room that we would consider the gospel and how the gospel overcomes our scars. So, Father, we pray that we would trust you, that we would wait for you, that we would watch as you uh, bring about your purpose for us. God, we don't want to run ahead of you because we all know where that ends up. Would you strengthen us to trust? And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.